Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning, everybody. We're going through a series called Power and the Sympathy. There's a balance when you have to consider who God is. If he's too powerful in your mind, then he's distant. And therefore, people invent saints, pastors, priests to intervene as if they're special people, which we're really not. If it's all sympathy, he's a weak God. You can do anything to him. You can live as you want, and he'll always, always take you back in, no matter how non-committed you are. You just, well, you just live as you are. Just behave like a Christian, and it's okay. At the end of the day, it'll be okay. The end result of that is obviously universalism. So there has to be a balance here. We're looking at 24-hour period in Mark 4, 5, just 24 hours. An amazing 24 hours in Scripture. Jesus had just been preaching tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. People, like I've said, with, with cancers. People going blind. People anxious. People with addictions. Even in, early, early, in the early Roman Empire, there's a massive heroin addiction. Did you know that? An opiate addiction. Rome was filled with it. It's nothing new. It really is nothing new. Nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this character who the world has never seen the likes before, this God-man stands up and preaches. Those who are guilty, frightened to live, frightened to die. Nobody wants to die a terrible death, especially a fearful death out of guilt. Who wants that? Next thing, next thing, what happens then? Jesus preaches at Capernaum. He did about 80, 85% of his ministry in the top northeast corner of Capernaum, of the of Sea of Galilee, which I'm going to show you in a few moments' time. All of a sudden, as he's preaching, there's so many there, people pressing on him. He has to stand away. So what he does, he gets in a boat, loads of ferries around there, loads of boats around there, and he actually go, he has to stand off the shore and he preaches to as many people as possible. Right after that, it's getting dark. He's been up at about six in the morning. Right after that, this is late evening, he says to his disciples, right, we're going to go right across into the darkness. Seven of them were fishermen. They know nobody goes across the Sea of Galilee. Eight miles across, 30 miles down. I don't know what that is in kilometers, about 20 kilometers, 13, 15 kilometers wide. But it's big, it's a big lake. Nobody does this, especially in winter. But they didn't say anything, and they just went across. You know what, when it happened, Jesus was so exhausted, he just fell into the boat and fell asleep. He was shattered, he was finished at that point, exhausted. They're going across the lake, and then the storm comes. They're going into the darkness and he dealt with the storm last week by just standing in the, in the, in the boat and saying to the storm, stop. And billions of gallons of water stopped immediately. Complete glass lake straight away. The wind had to bow down to him. Every atom had to bow down to him. For in him he made all things, and in him all things were made. 
That's what the issue with him. It'll be underestimated his power. But as you saw this man, five, six, six foot tall, a couple of meters tall, everything in God that is in God is in this body, this man. So he's dealt with one storm. The main lesson there that God takes us through storms is to learn how weak we can be and how strong he is. Disciples, don't forget, all of these men were going to die for him. Bar one, John, the youngest. He's about 19 at this point. They're all going to die. You know what? You have to, be, you have to know what you believe if you're going to give your life up for Christ or for any cause. And he, he knows that's not about knowledge that will get you through the, the, the storms, although that's important. It's faith. It's trust that gets you through the storms in life. Because you don't always understand why the storm is there or why it comes suddenly. Like on Galilee. So we're going across Galilee and all of a sudden the dawn is starting to come over the Golan Heights. They're quite big. Not as big as the Alps in Europe, but they're quite big. The storm always comes from the east in that part of the world. Just like in the Exodus, the, the wind came blew from the east, but it always represents something bad. This is not a good wind when it comes down there. They've sailed it. The sea is glass. All of a sudden, they see the sun coming over the horizon and they land on a place. It's a place called Decapolis. It's a place of 10 cities, mainly Gentiles and some Jews that lived over there. It was a dark place. Every Jew in that time lived around the lake didn't like going over there. The Orthodox Jews wouldn't touch it. But the ones who were backslidden Jews or whatever, they would, they would go over there. It was good business because lots of Gentile money. Jesus had been preaching for so long. He'd actually conquered the wild sea. Now he was going to conquer a wild man. A wild man. He's going to look at a man. If I can get this right. He's going to look at a man. Just at the northern end. You see Capernaum there in the map. Where you see the Sea of Galilee. That's roughly where we're going now. Gadra. It's about there now. Just coming dawn. Brand new day. And now there's the next challenge. The next challenge in this 24 hour period. A man in bondage. A man in bondage. We've heard about that this morning. As a former social worker, I saw that nearly every week for eight and a half years. It's bondage. Whatever it is, it's bondage. How terrible to witness somebody in bondage. When I first became a social worker in my 20s, early 20s, I was shocked when all of a sudden they turn up at the office. I was shocked because you feel hopeless for them. And they are in a hopeless situation. And you realize how really limited we are very quickly. Or I did anyway. Even more serious is a man who's in bondage. That's a spiritual bondage. Which is what I'm going to speak about this morning. As an introduction to next time when I come in two weeks time. He was a man in a hopeless, helpless state. He'd given up on himself a long time. If he wanted to do anything about the situation, he could not do it. 
It was at the beck and call of somebody else. You know what? He was owned by somebody else who only wanted to torture him. He was abandoned by a local heartless population, as we'll see in a few moments, and yet he was about to meet one person and the only person on the whole planet at that point that could help. And if you're not a Christian today, whether your family or friends are Christians, but you're not, there is only one person, this wonderful, wonderful man called Yeshua. He's the only one who can help you in life. He really is. Look at verse 1 with me, if you've got a Bible there. In verse 1, probably early morning, they've sailed all night. They're thinking, well, the disciples are saying, what was that about? What was that about the night before? Did you see that? Did you, did you hear him speak? Did you hear, feel his authority? They were more scared of him in the boat than the, the, the storm outside the boat. Because when we come into the presence of God, it's awesome. And what we realize is like Peter, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the rest, even Moses, you realize who you really are. And that this person is too holy to behold people like me and you. And yet he wants us. He wants to be with us. It's probably now early morning, and they seem to a place called Gadra. Here it is, Gadra. Not a big town, but a significant town. It was a dark town. There are places, even today, that are dark. And in verse 2, we're reminded also and introduced to a person, this person that's been, well, he's in a great deal of trouble. No doubt about him. Great deal of trouble. He can't help himself. And it says this, and when he come out of the boat, Jesus came out of the boat immediately, they met him out of the tombs, out of the graves, a man with an unclean spirit. Charged over to him, made a beeline. You can see his facial expression, can't you? Hate, detestation, anger. Oh, what I could do to him. I hate him. Just like the world hates God's people. Here we have a man charging over him. And the only thing we know about him, there's no name here, he's just got an unclean spirit. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. What does it mean? What does this mean? It means that this soul and the soul of this person, and there's another man with him in Matthew 8, were demon-possessed. Imagine that. Ever come across that? I have. I have. What does this mean? Well, what is demon possession? Well, it's when a person is to a larger or lesser degree controlled unduly and unduly influenced by an evil spirit, a fallen angel, become demons. They are real, just like they're not always around. But if you see them, you see them. It's a demonic force that some people are aware of and some people are totally ignorant of. You see, despite what the world says today, I can testify to you today, hand on heart, that there are spiritual sides to this life. There really is. We are not made up of just what we are. We are body and soul. And there's a spiritual zone around us, a realm around us all the time. But you can only see it through faith. 
He had an unclean spirit. It's not just mental illness. And there's no doubt sometimes demonic possession can pass as mental illness and vice versa. And I think that people can get wrong in many places today. When it's not demonic possession, it is only mental illness. Take it from someone who did two years solid mental illness in social work. There is a difference. There's a real difference at times. It's not just mental illness. And no doubt sometimes, as I said, this passes, but it's, it's something different from this one. In Matthew 4, Jesus tells you the difference. He identifies the difference. And then his fame ran through all Assyria. And they brought him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. In other words, there's a demarcation that even the Lord says there is. So sometimes when people say, oh, the demon's best, they're really not. It's just mental illness. That's what it is. They can do similar things. They act sometimes similar ways. How is this person afflicted with this dangerous condition? Well, you have to be very careful. If you don't want to be afflicted by this condition, is, my dear friends, especially young ones, what you watch. The eye gate, as a Puritan, English Puritans used to say, what you watch. Only here this morning, I reckon over 70, 75% of young men and ladies and girls watch pornography. Dangerous stuff, dangerous stuff, dangerous stuff. We did a survey many years ago in schools all around us, and we were surprised at how many people watch horror movies, go to seances. There's been a massive growth of spiritualism around Eastern Europe. It's now grown in the States. It's now grown in the UK, certainly, that's for sure. All these things are gateways. It's by the eye gate, but also the mouth, because when people speak, they declare who they really follow. If they've got a poisonous tongue, you know who they follow, because the devil's a slanderer. If they like just rude jokes, well, there you see him again, because he's filthy and vile. Everything about him is crude and vulgar. And yet you can start to see the picture where he's enslaved millions of young people, and maybe older people as well. And sometimes without them ever realizing it, it should be challenged. How is this person afflicted? How, how do you get away with this? Well, you have to realize it doesn't naturally happen. You have to invite it in. Everybody I've dealt with this has to invite it in by some way. And sometimes, you know, the Proverbs say, you know, if you pick up a coal, you can't but be burned. In other words, it's something that you can't pick up, mess around with on the videos, on TV, on movies, and then, and then just drop. It always, always, always scars people. That's what it does. This person, somehow we don't know, had been involved in things. This is what the Lord said through Moses in Deuteronomy. When you come to the land of Canaan, this is what he said to them which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. You know what? An awful lot of them were just killing children in an act of worship called Moloch worship, which has not gone out of fashion. In the UK alone, recently, since 1969, 
There's been over seven million children killed in the womb. A lot more in the States and other places. The society is doing exactly the same today, just in a different form. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire, Moloch worship, or one who practices witchcraft, massive growth, especially the wicked organization around Europe, especially since Harry Potter's been introduced. He's just a gateway. Or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, one of the fastest growing churches in the UK, I can speak as a UK pastor, is a spiritist church. <laughs> Nearly died out 30 or 40 years ago. It's now massive growth. One who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are abominations to the Lord. And because these abominations of the Lord, the Lord your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying, this is what Canaanite society is like. This is what pagan devilish society is like. It does these things. Wipe them out. Would you blame God for saying that, I wonder? Because I wouldn't. They are the trash of creation. That's what he was saying to this polytheistic society, the Canaanites. This is what they do. In other words, don't marry a non-Christian. Don't have a relationship in that way with a non-Christian. Because that's, that's where they nearly always fell in the Old Testament. They would intermarry, which they shouldn't have done. It always seemed to go one way. A demon-possessed man, like this one, knows it's wrong. People know in the Old Testament what God thought about it. He thought about it like this. Remember the witch of Endor, where King Saul, a backslidden king, an apostate king in the Bible in the Old Testament, remember what he did? When the cards were down, he's not far from Beth Shadim. You can go there today. It's like a Roman fort, a ruins of a Roman fort. You know what he did? He went to a medium to ask for help. There's a big battle tomorrow, the witch of Endor. What should I do? What's going to happen to me? He forgot about God. You know why he forgot about God? Because when trials come, and he had a big trial tomorrow to face the Philistines, a big battle. When the cards are down, you know who the person you follow by who you contact, when you contact them. In other words, if you go to God, you follow him. If you go to man, you follow man. If you go to the beast, you follow him. This is what was happening. Look what it says here. The witch said to him, look... You know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and spirits from the, the land. He's trying to disguise his, his identity. Why then do you lay a snare for my life and cause me to die? She knew exactly what she was doing. That's how sad it was in Jewish society. It really is. How do you avoid being possessed? Well, I would say become a Christian. It's impossible to be in any way affected like this to this degree if the Holy Spirit is within you. It is the ultimate protection to know to have God within you. Avoid being those who practice these things. Did you know there was a, over a thousand witches, two thousand professional astrologers, three thousand witches, sorcerers, again, spiritists and Satanists who attended a World Congress of Witchcraft in South America not so long ago, several years ago? I would say the third point is refuse to read horoscopes, seances, Ouija boards those things. Anybody who has think they have power over the dead, don't do it. Don't do it. 
This man that we're going to be looking at in a few moments, briefly as an introduction, he'd done all these things. I would say this, become a Christian. Avoid being those who practice evil things. They will always scar you. They'll do you no good. You know what? When I finished as a, as a social worker, just in the last six, eight months as a social worker, I started to ask people in, who we had to section. I started to actually say, have you been involved in any way of the occult? Nearly everyone said no. I said, have you been doing seances, Ouija boards, the rest of him? He went, well, yeah. Have you been watching horror films? Oh, he said, I watch them all the time. They scare me silly. Have you been doing tarot cards? Well, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Horoscope, yeah, yeah. From Egyptian god Horus. And it is a horoscope. It's a, it's a horror thing, isn't it? And he said, yes. And then started putting things together, thinking, this is more dangerous than I orig- originally thought. And the state has no answers to these things. Going back to Mark 3, we know that there's a dress. We know his address of this man. His address was number one, Tomb Street. He lived among the tombs. He mixed among the dead. Imagine that, imagine a graveyard, like rock hauling out tombs. He just lived among the dead. Imagine that. Now, to an Orthodox Jew, that was the most vile, unclean thing you could possibly do. First of all, living among Gentiles, if you're an Orthodox Jew, wasn't a good thing. That was dodgy. But to live among the dead, that was beyond the pale. Nobody would do that. It's irredeemable to Orthodox Judaism. But you know what? Despite all this, Jesus that night risked his reputation. Imagine that. Just by association. We have our relationships on association. In other words, you say to your kids, don't associate with that person. Don't associate with her or him. It's all about association. But in Jewish society, if you associated with somebody like this, you were deemed to be irredeemable like them. You risk your reputation. There's no way back. You know what, my friends? Jesus would risk his reputation for you. He simply risked it for me. He's a good shepherd that comes after the one. You have been that one. You owe him. Because he gave everything for you, not just his life. And sometimes a man's reputation is more important than a man's life. He gave up everything for you. And for this, this foolish man here, who no, he had no right to claim mercy. And yet the Savior came after him right through a storm. Right through a storm. Right across the darkness. There's another darkness he's going to conquer now as well. We also read in the same account in Matthew that there was two tormented souls. We also read that they were screaming and shouting. That's what they were type of doing. They avoided the problem. Society avoids the problem, doesn't talk it or runs away from it. Or you've got to confront it. And that's what you've got to do in our society, I think, today. Both approaches only reveal the hardness of these people's hearts. They just either ignored it or they pacified them. They pacified people by drugs today. But in those days, they just put metal chains on. And this, these men were so strong that the chains just broke. They couldn't contain them. So they just had no, just pushed them out the camp, pushed them where the dead are, and had no compassion for them at all. In verse 5, let me close with this. 
I've known this, spiritual problems in churches and society, I've got to have spiritual solutions. Can I tell you, as a 30 years as a pastor, spiritual problems can only have spiritual solutions in any church. And very often we try and put men's, men's ideas, men's solutions on spiritual problems. It doesn't work, it doesn't go away. It might go underground, you might pacify for a while, but it doesn't heal, it doesn't deal with the main cause. In other words, someone could be depressed, not all people are like this, but maybe because something they've done in the past, they can't live with themselves. And they go to the GP, the doctor, and he might give them some mild tranquilizers that sort of makes them a bit, pacifies them a bit, helps them out. But the underlying cause is not, is not anything except guilt. What I've done, what I've said, Oh, if I had 10 pounds for what people have said to me over the years, I wish I didn't do that, Steve. I wish I wouldn't have said that to my wife. I wish I would have loved her more. I wish I didn't say that to mum and dad. They've been gone years. It still comes back to me now and again. How people live with regrets. The only way you can deal with things like this is at the foot of the cross. That's where to be to bathe in the blood of the lamb. That's what it's about. Spiritual problems have spiritual solutions. It's an alien concept in a, in, a, in a secular society. And the UK, like the rest of Europe, is going more draconian by its laws. They're trying to say, if people don't behave a certain way, we will actually put more laws and more laws and more laws. In the last five years in the UK, I can tell you this, there's been nearly a thousand new laws. Most of them are trying to pacify people's behavior. And yet, when we lived in a sort of Christian society, you realize God and the conscience of people pacified people's behavior. You didn't have to, you didn't have to look for a policeman, you just knew God saw you years ago. I can remember my old mother saying to me, you know what, I may not be around, but God sees you. I was 27 when she said that. But she's absolutely right, isn't she? God sees you. God knows you. You can't get away from him. In verse 5, another symptom of spiritual bondage is obviously this terrible thing called self-mutilation. It's been a concern of mine. My former church has a, a large group. We had over 200 young people. And um, we had all types of people coming in, in a, as, as a post-Christian generation. They'd never been to church. They didn't even know what a hymn was. They'd never touched the Bible. They'd never been to Sunday school. They'd never been to a Christian wedding. They all lived together anyway. Um, they, they're just deep, completely ignorant of the things of God. And yet they come in and are thinking, it must be painful the way they dress and the things that they wear. There are terrible consequences in being, being involved if we trespass and go in those areas God has himself told us not to get into. There's a this particular man, Kirk Koch, he was a great theologian. And what he did, he actually studied these things for many years. And he wrote two marvelous books. And this is one of his quotes. He said, only a fool gets involved in these things. And they're addictive. Addictive. Another symbol, another symbol like I've said, of, of these types of things is things like, well... How about what people have today? 
people have um, piercings. I was amazed that you must be comfortable having these things through your nose, through your cheeks, through your lip, through, through your ears, through, through everything. The massive growth of tattoos as well. Massive growth of tattoos. Sadomasochism. All banned in the Bible. How, how utterly wholesome is the, is the Bible. It really is. How wonderful it really is. How marvelous that the Lord says, this is the clean way to live. Don't be like or conform to, the, to what's going on today. I go to the gym a couple of times a week and I've been amazed the last 10 or 15 years when the massive growth of tattoos everywhere or markings. Why does the Lord sort of ban them in the, in the Bible? Because lots of the Canaanite tribes and tribes that follow the evil one were sort of get these types of things. It was aligning themselves to a deity. That's what I actually do. Not just a fashion thing today, but aligning themselves to a deity. So don't be associated with these things. You should not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks. Found the Lord your God. This man was lost. You see a whole generation that can be lost here. And if you're a Christian, would you really want, would you really want to, to insult the Holy Spirit within you? Can you imagine that? Would you really want that? Would you really want where well, your body is a temple? You know what? And today, you know, we've, we've got, we're conscious of the outward image, but the Bible is conscious about the inward image of who you are. If you are a child of God, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you are a child of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a child of God, you are owned by the Holy Spirit. You've been redeemed by the Lamb of God. You, have, you put all, all these old things away. Everything becomes new. There is no room in your body for drink to get you drunk, drug to, drug to conk you out, or anything wrong. There's no room for this. There's only room for one person. And I know this, if he's the Holy Spirit, he will not dwell with these things anyway. This man had broken every Jewish taboo. Imagine that. He wasn't the dark sheep of the family. He was the dark sheep of the nation. Everything the Jews held sacred. Everything the Bible held sacred. He smashed. And he got so far in that he became a slave of something that he couldn't get out of him. The people despised him. The town wished him dead. He'd just go away. He lived among the graves. Who on earth could help him? The local Pharisees wouldn't help. The local priests wouldn't help. Who would help? There's one who sailed right across the lake in a storm, willing to trash his reputation, to come over to this man. He's his only hope. You know what his name is? I don't know if you know his name. His name is Jesus. And even the very name of Jesus calms our fears. Calms us, doesn't it? Just saying his name is a beautiful name. I don't know whether you've been involved in these things. I was surprised in my church, as some people have, because it was a young church. I would say this, the best advice I would give you is say, Lord, forgive me for those things. 
no matter how far back they are, they can come back. Lord, forgive me of these things. Come to my heart and cleanse me from my past. That's the best thing. This man was going to learn this. This man was going to have his life changed. And this man was going to learn, like we're going to learn, and the disciples are going to learn, that nobody is beyond the pale of this strong arm of Jesus Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, that's why I love him. He says, come to me. Come to me. All things are ready. He also said, call upon me. I will not cast you out. 24-7, what a saviour. What an absolute saviour he is. Let me pray with you. Father, you've come across a, a difficult subject today as an introduction to hope next, next time. And Lord, it's a subject that is very, very spoken about or talked about, yet is rampant today. And Lord, we got, but for your grace, we could all got involved in these things. And sometimes I realize and sometimes maybe out of fun. And Lord, we pray, if we have been involved in these things, and Lord, and we just ask you, please forgive us. Cleanse us from within. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. And we ask, Lord God, that our lives would not be scarred in any way by what's gone on in the past. You are the God that forgives the past and is concerned about today and the future. So Lord, thank you for this. Thank you that you're willing to forgive and remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you've buried our sin in the deepest ocean. Lord, just give us the faith to let go of the past and stand out now and trust you for the future. Lord, as long as we live, help us to be useful for you, to be used of you. May our homes be spiritual homes. May our, may our marriages not just be functional, but fundamentally spiritual for Christians. And if we're not saved here today, oh Lord God, will you please have mercy upon our souls and please allow us to go to heaven with you by cleansing us through your rich atoning blood. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.